you've got all the help you can get. Uh, Brother Looney, it wouldn't bother him to get up here and preach. He, he loves to preach. I'm scared to death. <laughs> I'm scared to death. You folks on live stream, I'm sorry uh, that, you, uh, that you got stuck with listening to me, but perhaps if you listen to what the Word of God has to say, uh, you can, uh, you can learn, learn something from it. Now, uh, we've had uh, in the last two weeks over 10 people saved. In fact, uh, Tuesday, night, Tuesday night when the preacher preached on, uh, on uh, Who Packed Your Chute uh, when he was at the revival, over there uh, that afternoon, I had a fellow come out to give me a give me an estimate on putting a roof on on the uh, house that we live in, and I got to lead him to the Lord. Uh, so, uh, and uh, somebody that got saved in the last two weeks uh, went home and won. I think their sister or their mother. I'm not sure who it was, but they won somebody. So there's been over 10 people saved in the last two weeks, and the Lord is doing work in and through Calvary Baptist Church, and I don't want to be guilty of putting a damper on that. Now, Satan's looking for a weak link, and he could probably find it in me, but the Lord said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you, and he's here with me, so uh, let's trust him tonight to, to give us what we need. Uh, the Lord led, I thought, with a simple message on how to plow a straight furrow, and I was going to bring a message on uh, Psalm 15 and, and the... Uh, and the uh, sermon in uh, Romans 5 through, or not Romans, but Matthew 5 through 7. Uh, but that changed. And then I changed my mind and I thought I would go to Hebrews chapter 11 and 12. Uh, but he changed my mind on that too. And uh, Brandon called me this afternoon and I was still pretty much set on that. And Brandon called me this afternoon and he said, well, you got any points to go with your title, How to Plow a Straight Furrow that's on that thing. And I... Uh, Texted him back, said, no, uh, but I've changed my mind. So, <laughs> so this afternoon I changed my mind. But what I have to share with you is worthwhile. Whether it, uh, whether it comes, out, comes out good or not, I don't know. I want to concentrate on Romans chapter 4, but, I'd, but I would like to start with where I've asked you to go to Hebrews uh, chapter 12. So let me turn there and turn away from Romans chapter 4 for a minute. In Hebrews chapter 12... I want to I want to tell you about a straight furrow. I uh, I was raised on a little farm in Ohio, a little sixty-acre farm. Uh, there were six children in the family. I was the fifth of six, and uh, I was uh, fortunate enough to get probably the bulk of, of what was going on. My brother and I was uh, about three years older than me, so he was. Uh, I w- we went there when when I was seven, he was ten, and uh, we got to do all the things that needed to be done. Our older brother had already gone into service. My dad was a hardworking man. He, uh, he worked three different jobs to take care of his family. My mother worked right alongside of him and she, uh, she uh, worked with us. She had all us kids to take care of. And uh, when the preacher was preaching over there uh, uh, and preached on uh, who packed your chute, one of the girls that I share it with uh, from Ohio who lost her husband and mother, or mother-in-law recently, uh, uh, put on there, Mrs. Hill. When she first put it on there, she was she was talking about he talked about who packed your chute. Uh, when she first put it on there, she put Mrs. Hill, and I thought maybe she meant my wife. And then I thought about it a while and thought, no, she meant my mother. Meant my mother. Now, if you if you've not heard that sermon on who packed your chute, you need to go back and listen to it. Amen. Uh, Amen. Because it says this: Who helped you get to where you're at now? Was it 
your mother and father? Was it, was it a pastor somewhere? Was it a, some friend that took time to tell you about Jesus? Uh, she took time to tell others about Jesus. My mother was a spiritual woman. I learned most of my theology from her, but I wasn't saved until I was 23. I guess I wish I had listened more to her. But anyway, Carol put on there, Mrs. Hill, and she's, she was one who, we always had somebody living with us there. We had, uh, we had people that, uh, that lived in our house and, and with us and helped us financially. They helped them buy the farm when I was seven and a uh, fellow lived there the whole time I was there. I left when I was 17, went to the service and, and uh, jumped out of perfectly good airplanes. But we always had somebody living there and mama was always telling others about Jesus. She was always helping people. She was helping uh, some fellow that couldn't read, an adult, and she taught him how to read. And uh, she, was, she was someone whom the Lord used to love others to himself. And I'm thankful for her and thankful for her testimony because she helped pack my shoe. She helped pack my shoot. And I'm thankful for the wife that God gave me. I don't want to embarrass her tonight, uh, but I'm thankful for her. My mama said about her that she was, she was a blessing. And I said, what do you mean about that, mom? She said, said, well, she said, some wives can be so discouraging. Wife, if you're here tonight, let me, let me encourage you. Don't discourage your husband. Don't discourage your husband. Tell him he can do anything. That's, she thinks I can do anything. She's wrong, but she thinks I can do anything. And she's always encouraged me. If, if she says, if it can be done, you can do it. Well, if the Lord's in control of it, that's true. The Lord, the Lord can use us to accomplish what needs to be done. But we ourselves are not able to, to, do, uh, to do without him what needs to be done. So anyway, in uh, Hebrews chapter 12, let's, let's read. If you want to stand, we'll read the first three verses. I'll probably read a lot more scripture tonight, but uh, you won't have to be standing for it. But to honor our Lord and his word, let's read these first three verses. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight, and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Oh, you may be seated. Verse 2 says, looking unto Jesus. Now, when this started out, I was going to use that on how to plow a straight furrow. And you see those things that Brandon, that picture that Brandon put on there, how to plow a straight furrow. And you know, as some of you are farmers, and you know what it takes to, to prepare a field. If you've ever followed a team of mules, you, you, you know that it takes knowing, knowing how to make them do what you want them to do to get a straight row. And, and you need a straight row. When I was a kid, we had a little farm all tractor. And sitting on that tractor with a single bottom plow behind it in a big field, and we had some that were large fields, and that was the, that was the biggest thing we had to plow them with. But sitting on that, uh, first time I got on there and started plowing a field, my furrow was kind of like all this. My daddy was there, and uh, my daddy 
uh, came out and saw what I'd done, and he said, get off the tractor, boy, and let me show you what it takes to get a straight furrow. And then he instructed me. He said, when you start at this end of the field, he said, you start in the middle. You find out where the middle of the field's at because you're going to put one furrow down this side and then you're going to come back in that same furrow and put one down the other side. He said, you see that big tree right straight out there in the middle of the field? And I said, yeah, Dad, I see that. He said, you aim right at that big tree. So he showed me. He started in over that curvy furrow that I had plowed. My daddy plowed a straight furrow. And then he came back from that side on the furrow, on the, on the first furrow, and made another furrow. And, the, and when I finished the field, after I found out how to do it, it was not a bad looking field. So it takes some time to plow a straight furrow. But it was looking unto that tree in the middle of the field, looking unto that tree in the middle of the field to get that straight furrow plowed. Now, this scripture that we read says, looking unto Jesus, looking unto Jesus. When you become a child of God, if you're going to plow a straight furrow, you need to keep your eyes fixed on the one who made it possible for you to live, to live period and to live in him and to live with him. Now, I don't know about you. I do know there are several new Christians here tonight, and I do know this. I did not begin to live and did not know it until I got saved. I didn't begin to live and did not know it until I got saved. But when I got saved, I realized that I had no life behind me, but I had a life in front of me. That's true. I had a life in front of me, and that life was the very life of Christ. The Apostle Paul said, at one point, he said, I'm crucified with Christ. Now, I don't know much as a farm boy, but I do know this. If you're crucified, you're dead. You're dead. So that's what Paul said. I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, Paul said, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Thank God, thank God that that old life was dead on the cross with the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank God that he said, he said he would come and he would live in me and he would, if I would yield to him. In Romans chapter 6, there's three, three special words. And there are no, if you read Romans chapter 6, look for them, no, reckon, and yield. And tonight we're going to look at reckon, some in Romans chapter 4, but no reckon and yield. Know where you came from. Know where you're going. Keep your eyes pinned on the one who saved you. Keep your eyes pinned on him because he'll... He'll enable you to walk that straight path. He'll enable you to get where, where he wants you to go. And eventually he'll take us to be in heaven with him. But now look, if you would, at uh, Romans chapter four. What shall we say then that Abraham, our father, as pertaining to the flesh had found? Uh, let, me, let me go back in Romans chapter three and share with you what the apostle Paul wrote about, what the Holy Spirit led him to write about in the first three chapters. He's in the first three chapters, the apostle Paul uh, proved, I think, every one of us are sinners and every one of us need a savior. But in Romans chapter three and verse 10, it says, 
As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. None righteous, no, not one. There is none that understand. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are all together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Their throat is an open sepulcher, and their tongues they have used deceit, and the poison of asp is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that what things saith soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and that all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified. That means you can't save yourself, folks. No flesh justified. No flesh justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe for there is no difference for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Amen. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All have sinned. That means none of us, none of us have anything to brag about. Amen. Not anything. Doesn't matter whether we're rich or poor. Doesn't matter if we're fat or thin. Or doesn't matter if we're tall or short. Doesn't matter if we're educated or uneducated. The Lord Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit said, all of us are in the same boat. All of us are in the same boat. All of us need to have a savior. So for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. It says in, in Romans 5, 12, wherefore or therefore is by one man, that one man is Adam, sin entered into the world and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men. Most of the world doesn't realize that. Thankfully, there are, there's a remnant or a few, and there's not a lot of us today, that believe what the Word of God says. That when Adam sinned in the garden, God said the penalty for that is death. When he ate of the fruit of that tree, God said the day you eat it, that day you'll die. You remember what Satan said to Eve? God said you'll die. Satan said, now you won't. Now you won't. Don't believe God. Don't believe God. Believe God. Believe God. Eve didn't believe God. Eve looked at that tree and said, well, well, the tree looks a lot like the other trees. Looks good. Looks good. And the fruit, well, well it looks like it'd be good to eat. And she decided Satan was right. I'll do it my way, not God's way. You know what happened to Eve when she ate that fruit? She became a sinner as soon as she ate that fruit. Yes, Dead, spiritually, yes, sinner. You know what happened to her next? She became a seducer. Sin, sin will kill you and sin will lead you to ruin others. And that's exactly what happened to her. She became a sinner and then she became a seducer. Adam, the Bible says, was not deceived. 
Ruth was, but Adam was not deceived. Adam looked at his wife and knew her condition and said, I love her and I'll go with her and die with her if necessary, and he did. When he died, when God made Adam, he made him body, soul, and spirit. And Brother Michael recognized this. Made him body, soul, and spirit. When he died, he died spiritually. John chapter 3, Jesus had a conversation with Nicodemus and said, except a man be born again, he can neither see nor enter into the kingdom of God. So when he died, he died spiritually and we died with him. We died with him because without him, we wouldn't be here. So consequently, his sin became our sin. And his sin, you say, well, I didn't know Adam. I, he's no kin of mine. Yes, he is. You're here. You've got to be a kin of Adam. And so you died the same day, the same way that Adam did. When you were born, you were born dead. Born dead. Don't ask me to explain it. I can't do it. But I do know this, that Jesus, when he talked to Nicodemus, said, you've got to have this life if you're going to see heaven or enter into it. You've got to have that life. Now, in, uh, in Romans chapter 4, God uh, deals with righteousness. And he deals with righteousness basically with uh, Abraham. So he says, what shall we say then? that Abraham, our father, as pertaining to the flesh, hath found. What did he find? What did he find? What did Abraham find? said, what shall we say? So what did, what did Abraham find? He said, for if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof the glory, but not before God. In other words, if Abraham could say, I deserve to go to heaven because I've lived a good life and I've done this and I've done that and I, 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 uh, he'd have whereof to glory. He couldn't give God the glory. He'd be taking the glory himself. If you said, I'm going to heaven because I've gone to church every Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night, and every time in between when the doors were open, I've treated my family well, I've done this and I've done that and all those things. You take the glory, but not the one that deserves the glory. Right. And so it says here, for Abraham were justified by works. He hath whereof the glory, but not before God. For what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God. Now I told Dream I'd get her out of here by 730, but Brandon was still talking at 730, I think. So uh, I'll try to make it no by eight o'clock, but I don't know if we'll do that. Anyway, for what saith the scripture, Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Counted unto him for righteousness. Now, Abraham, if you want to read about him, you read about him starting all the way back in Genesis chapter 12. And in Genesis 15, uh, uh, the Bible tells about his his, uh, his faith being accepted. But, you know, God worked in the, always works with the, same, with the same principle, by the same principle, and that's the principle of faith. It says in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, for by grace are you saved through faith. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourself, it is the that definite article, the gift of God. It's not a gift of God, it's the gift of God. If you get the gift of God, you get everything that God has to give you. 
Everything that God has to give you. And the gift of God, it says, for by grace he is saved through faith and that not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So we have no boasting. Abraham no bo had no boasting. But it's the gift, it's the gift of God. And it's, it says it, uh, back in Genesis 15, for what saith the scripture, Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. What was going on back in Rome or in Genesis chapter 15? Well, Abraham had been called out of the Ur of Chaldees. You remember that? God had said to him, get out of, get out of your land and, and go to a land that I'll show you. And what did Abraham do? He discovered faith. He did. He discovered faith. He said, here's a God I've never seen. I've never heard of. Don't know. They worshiped the moon God at that time in the country where he was. But he had this God say to him, I want you to get out of your, get out of your, leave your home and go out to a land where I'll, I will show you. Uh, where are you from, Abraham? He said, I'm from Shinar. Uh, uh, and and, uh, and uh, the Ur of Chaldees and, and say, where are you going? He said, I don't know where I'm going. Uh, uh, why are you going? Uh, and he said, I'm going because God told me to go. And, uh, and, and what God? And Abraham said, I, I, I don't know. I, I, just, I just heard from him. And, and I believe him and I'm going. So he discovered faith and he left his home. And when he left his home, God led him and he had some hiccup in his life, like all of us have hiccups in our life as far as our Christian life is concerned. But he had some hiccups in his life. But he went on. He went out when he was 75, just a little younger than I am now. And uh, he went out when he was 75. And he, and he went on and on until he came to the point where, where uh, God promised him that he would, uh, he would inherit this land. And it would, be, it would be his and his kin's. But Abraham didn't have any children. Abraham was at that time uh, pushing, I think he was probably pushing uh, 80, somewhere around there. And he didn't have any children. And he, and he said to God, uh, he questioned God and he said, uh, God, I, I don't have an heir. He said, uh, uh, one of my hired servants would have to be my heir. And God said to Abraham, no, he said, I will give you an heir. It'll come from your own loins. And if you can look up here and see all the stars, you know, we're pretty much light polluted now and it's very difficult to see. But if you can get out on a dark night and look up there, there are a bunch of them up there. I mean, like billions of them up there that you can see. And he said, your, your prodigy, those that are born from this, from this one that I will give you will be more than the stars of heaven, more than the stars in all the universe. And he said, I, I'll give them to you. And you know what? Abraham believed God. He had another hiccup after that, but he believed God and God said he counted it unto him for righteousness. He counted it unto him for righteousness. Now there's some words here in uh, Romans chapter four that I want you to notice. If you look, uh, I'll say first of all in verse four, now unto him that worketh is the reward not reckoned you might want to underline that word in your Bible of grace, but of debt. In verse five, it says, but to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Reckon and counted means the same thing. 
Reckoned and counted means the same thing. And it says in verse 6, even as David also describeth the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness, you might want to underline that, without works. Reckoned and counted and imputed, excuse me, all mean the same thing. All mean the same thing. Imputeth righteousness. How many knows what, what it means to have something imputed to you? Imputed to you. Well, maybe we should have a short lesson on imputing. It says that. If you look at verse 8, it says, Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. And it says in verse 9, Cometh this blessedness upon the circumcision only or upon the uncircumcision also? For we say that faith was reckoned to Abraham for righteousness. Reckoned. Again, the same word. Same word. Verse 11, if you look at the end of verse 11, you see righteousness might be imputed in, to them also. Uh, There may be more in there. I think perhaps there are. But those are enough. Uh, imputed. This starts out in this chapter as justification by faith, not works. Justification by faith and not works. So what do we say then that Abraham our father has, as pertaining to the flesh, hath found? For Abraham was justified, if Abraham was justified by works, he hath whereof the glory, but not before God. For what saith the scriptures? It believed God, and it was counted unto him, or imputed unto him, for righteousness. Let's say that, uh, to understand the word imputed, uh, I lost my wallet, okay? And when I lost it, uh, Brother Brandon found it. He opened it up. He knew those kids were going on that trip and they needed money and he needed money. And he said, uh, eh, he's got a lot of money in there. I'll, I'll just take $10 out of there. And, uh, and then he said, I'll, I'll leave it out there at the desk and uh, they can say that somebody found your wallet and turned it in and, and there it is. And, uh, and I got my wallet and looked and, and there's still money in there and my driver's license was in there, and I, I couldn't see anything missing. So I said, thank you. And whoever it was that found it, thanked them for me and, uh, and went about my business. Now, Brandon knew that he'd, he'd taken that $10. Uh, didn't bother him a whole lot right then. He, uh, <laughs> he, uh, he said to his wife on the way home, said, let's stop at McDonald's and get an ice cream cone. And, you know, he's, all the kids that he's got... $10 was gone. Uh, he didn't have any more. Uh, and, uh, and the payday didn't come for him. He, was, he said, uh, you know, he said that that's okay. So it's only $10. He had a lot of money to begin with, so he wouldn't, he wouldn't miss it. And he was right. I didn't miss it. Uh, my wife does that all. No, she doesn't do that. But uh, <laughs> I didn't miss it, but, uh, but uh, his Lord would not let him alone. He, uh, he, Amen. he, uh, he uh, got home that night, and that ice cream didn't sit well on his stomach, and he uh, it just bothered him, and he uh, he, he just couldn't sleep. And uh, so anyway, the, the, that was on a Wednesday night, and uh, and the uh, 
Next day, it bothered him uh, when he went about his chores, and it bothered him all, all the way up through Sunday. And and uh, he said, uh, "I really need to, I really need to tell him. I don't have, I don't have the ten dollars to give him back." And but, uh, but I really need to tell him. So he stopped me on the way in on Sunday morning, and he said, "Brother Mike, how are you?" I said, "I'm doing fine, Brandon. How about yourself, bud?" He said, uh, uh, "Brother Mike," he said, "I have something I, I, I want to tell you." And I said, well, what is it, Brandon, that you want to tell me? Uh, 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 is it important? Yeah, he said, uh, it's important to me. He said, uh, Brother Mike, he said, I was the one that found your wallet. And I said, oh, thank you, Brandon. I appreciate that. Uh, uh, you're, a, you're a good boy, and I, and I appreciate what you've done for me. And uh, he said, well, he said, uh, he said, I looked in your wallet, and you had a lot of money in there. And he said, uh, I took out a $10 bill. And uh, he said, I, "I really like to, I really like to pay you back." But he said, "I, I don't have any, I don't have any Monday." Uh, well, I said, "That's okay, Brandon. Don't, don't worry about it. Uh, it's all right with me. You, you can have that ten dollars. Uh, don't worry about it. Just put that on my account. That's what it means to be imputed." Put that on my account. Now, where it says in there that it was counted unto Abraham, it was reckoned unto Abraham, it was imputed unto Abraham. When Abraham believed God, when Abraham believed God, that was counted, accounted, put on his, put on his account. When I believe God, the blood of Jesus was put on my account. I was a sinner and could not save myself and didn't know it. Didn't know it. But when I put my faith, when I believed God and put my faith in the finished work of Jesus on Calvary's cross and called upon him, and I said, Lord, I'm a sinner. And that sin has to be paid for, but I don't have anything to pay for it with. He said, that's okay, Mike. I've already paid that price on Calvary's cross and I'll put it on your account. And he saved me for all eternity. That's the same thing this chapter is talking about when it's talking about righteousness. We need, the Bible says, that unless our righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, that's what Jesus said. Yes, you know who the scribes and Pharisees were? They were strict keepers of the law. You remember the account in the Bible where the publican and the Pharisee went into the temple to pray? And when they went into the temple to pray, the Pharisee went right up front. He got as close as he could up front. And he said, God, I thank you that I'm so good. I thank you that, 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 that I do all these wonderful things for you. Uh, I, I pay tithes of all that I possess and I do this and I do that and I, I, I. And when he got done, there was a publican. He wasn't very popular with the Israelite people in the back who'd heard all the things the Pharisee had to say, but he also knew himself. 
And the Bible says that he would not so much as lift up his eyes, but he hung his head and smote himself on his breast and said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And when he did, you know what? It was counted unto him for righteousness. It was counted unto him, imputed unto him for righteousness. So justification by faith and not by works in the first eight verses of that chapter. The next one is justification by grace and not by law. You cannot, you cannot, you cannot. The law wasn't written for righteous people. The law was written for sinners. And it was so that a sinner would accept the fact that he was a sinner or she was a sinner and could not save themselves. When you come to that point and realize that, that's when you can be saved. There's another point in here I want to point out to you so you'll understand these things. Sometimes, uh, sometimes you, you run across some real intelligent people who know a lot about the Word of God and they'll try to tell you, uh, I won't say anything about uh, specific ones, but they'll try to tell you that you've done well so far if, you're, if you go and, and uh, begin talking to them. It's, it's, it's a strange thing. I was working in a factory and this one, one fella, uh, I talked to everybody about Jesus. Uh, God and I made a deal. Uh, I don't know if you've ever made a deal with God, but I made a deal with him in this factory. Uh, they'd, they'd led me or, or asked me to go and, and be night superintendent of a plant in uh, Tennessee. They had a brand new plant down there. And so I went down there and they gave me a little gas buggy, had 30 acres under one roof. And uh, this uh, gas buggy would get me around on the shift that I was on to, to everybody and everything that was going on. And, uh, and, uh, and I witnessed everybody. The deal I made with God was this. I said, God, whoo, said this job is kind of like tonight. You know, I feel like uh, I had a preacher one time that said, you need to be ready to preach, pray, or die. Well, I prayed all week and I'm ready to die tonight. But, <laughs> but, but anyway, in that, in that plant, I, I would ride around on that buggy and, and I talked to everybody. I said, God, if you will take care of this job, because it's way too big for me. I said, I don't understand all this stuff. They, they were producing 30,000 tires uh, in, uh, in no time. We had, uh, there's a lot of things about that I could tell you, but I won't. But anyway, uh, I said, you take, care of, you take care of this job. I'll take care of telling people about you. And so uh, as, as I ride around, I would witness to everybody. I tell everybody about Jesus as much as possible. God would open the door. But uh, one fellow I ran across went to, a, went to a church that believed you could lose your salvation. And, uh, and uh, I was talking to him about Jesus and he was telling me, uh, well, he said, you've done well so far, but you need to do a few more things. You need to do this, you need to do that, and you need to come be part of our church because our church is the only one that anybody's going to heaven out of. And I said, son, uh, I'm sorry, but that's not what my Bible says. But anyway, uh, it, this kept on for a while, and uh, and one day uh, he came into where I was into where I was working, reached into a uh, desk drawer and pulled out a pack of cigarettes, and he lit up that cigarette. And I said uh, said to him after he got it lit up, I said, uh, "Do you uh, get saved again every time after you put one of those cigarettes out?" Because sure enough, it was a sin. Sure enough, it was a sin, and. Uh, and he said no. But anyway, it was, uh, it was interesting. There are people that will tell you there are, there, there are some things that uh, mean some things. Some people will tell you that you have to be baptized to be saved. And you do. Now, I can see these. There's 
Lyndon out there that doesn't like my picture and, uh, and others that say, and I say, well, you do, really. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Uh, but that means baptized by the Holy Spirit into the Bible, in the body of Christ. Yes, not baptized in, in the baptistry back here. Yeah, you got to be baptized in the baptistry back here or in the river or in the creek or someplace, but you need to be baptized by the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ. And you are baptized into the body of Christ if you put your faith in Jesus and he's reckoned it so, counted it so, imputed, imputed to you his righteousness. But anyway, they'll tell you you have to be baptized in water to get saved. But look, look at this, if you would, with me, starting, say, in verse 9. It says, Cometh this blessedness then upon the circumcision only. Who was that? That's the Jews, right? That's the Jews. Cometh this blessedness then upon the circumcision only or, or upon the uncircumcision also. For we say that faith was reckoned to Abraham for righteousness. And here's something maybe some of you don't know. Uh, I'm sure there's some that don't know and some that do know. But Abraham was a Gentile when he got saved. He was not a Jew. He was a Gentile when he got saved. He was uncircumcised when he got saved. He was uncircumcised when God said to him, I'm counting this on your account for righteousness. Abraham was saved as an uncircumcised Gentile. Now, 14 years later, God gave Abraham the sign of circumcision. Now, what did the sign mean? That he had trusted Christ. He had believed the Lord. When he believed God, it was counted unto him for righteousness. And he was made righteous looking forward to that one that causes you to plow a straight furrow, Christ himself. Looking forward to the cross of Christ, he was made righteous 14 years before he was circumcised. And it says, I think here, let's see, in verse 11, if you look at it, and he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of faith, which he had yet being, what? Uncircumcised, a Gentile that he might be the father of all them that believe, though they be not circumcised, that righteousness might be imputed unto them also. That means, all it means, folks, is that we can be saved too. Not just the Jew, but whosoever will may be saved. And after we're saved, and after we trust Christ as our Savior, after it's imputed to our account, then we get in that baptistry as a public profession of what has taken place in our life. As the new life he has given us, the new life that we have, the very life of Christ, then as a sign and as a seal that the world might know that we're his, we make it public for everyone to see. So... That's another thing in, that, in this chapter that's good. Salvation is by grace and not by law. Salvation is by faith and not by works. God operated by faith in the Old Testament and he operated by faith in the New Testament. In Hebrews chapter 11, if you would read Hebrews chapter 11, you'd find in there several 
uh, heroes, I guess, of the faith, champions of the faith, people who in the Old Testament put their faith in God, not, not knowing, not knowing when it was going to happen, but that, God, that it would happen. It says in Genesis 3.15, God had promised mankind, he'd promised Eve that he would give her a seed. Now, I wonder sometimes, and Brother Looney, maybe I should have talked to you about this before I, before I thought about it. I thought about saying this, but, I, but I'm not real sure. Uh, you read sometimes in, in, in Genesis when, uh, when Cain and Abel were born. I'm, I really wonder if uh, my wife's looking at me and asking and wondering, wondering what I'm going to say. But uh, when Cain, and, maybe Brother Jones could help me with it. But when Cain and Abel were born, it says she conceived and had a child, and she said, I've gotten a man from the Lord, thinking it was the promised seed. Uh, but then it says she conceived again, and there's nothing in between there. And I'm wondering if Cain and Abel weren't twins, but they weren't uh, all the seed of Adam. I'm wondering if uh, one was born from Adam and one was born from Satan. I don't know about Cain and Abel. But anyway, uh, I know this, that both of them had the same upbringing, both of them had the same parents, both of them had the same teaching, uh, and both of them went out into, into, the, into the world and uh, it, there came a time when, uh, when it was, when they both took, a, took an offering to the Lord. And Abel, the Bible says, took an offering to God. And the offering that he took to God was one that God demanded. And God demanded a blood sacrifice. And so when he took that, God was pleased with Abel's sacrifice. But his brother, Cain, had a lovely garden, I guess. I'm not sure just exactly what it was, but he had, he had good, uh, to, to his eyes and probably to ours, he had, he had great things. The earth wasn't used up so much then like it is at my place now where it's just all clay uh, and you can't get much of a garden out of it. But anyway, he took the things out of his garden and he took them and presented them to the Lord and the Lord was not pleased with his offering. But the Lord did say to Cain, I love you too, Cain. I love you too. And so he said, at your door, there lies the lamb. There's a sin offering there at your door. All you have to do, all you have to do is offer that sin offering and you'll be accepted as Abel was. But Cain was proud of what he'd done. He said, Lord, I worked hard to do all these things. I got all these things together and I brought them over here to give to you and they're not acceptable. And God said, that's right. Because sin can't be covered. Sin cannot be covered with vegetables. The only offering for sin is blood. The only one. And so we know what happened to, to Cain and Abel. But uh, anyway, I thought about that. And I, it's, it's something that uh, I haven't spent a lot of time thinking about or a lot of time doing anything with. But I did think about it. So 
This chapter goes on and, and, and talks about uh, Abraham. When God, when God uh, fulfilled his promise and gave uh, Abraham and Sarah a, a child, uh, we know that Abraham was pushing 100 years old and Sarah was about 90 years old. And so when God uh, gave them this child, for all intents and purposes, they were, they were dead. And uh, God said, he, he, he met with them and he said, uh, he said in about a year, you'll, uh, you'll have a child. About this same time, in a year, you'll have this child. And uh, we know what Sarah did. Uh, we know what Abraham did. The Bible says that Abraham believed God. And he believed God for that child. And I've, I thought about that and uh, thought about them. I thought about, I thought about me. I thought about us. Uh, some of us are getting up there. I'm pushing 80, uh, pretty close. And uh, I thought about that. But uh, I know how Abraham must have felt when God said that to him. But at the same time, God said, it's going to happen. Abraham said, all right. I believe you. So anyway, I think one night Abraham and Sarah went to bed and uh, they were, you know, when they, when they got there, they got their jammies on and, and put on the arthritis cream or whatever else it was. And, and you know, just whatever it, whatever it took and, and said, boy, I hope we get some sleep tonight. So the older we get, the harder it is to get a good night's sleep. And, and uh, they were, uh, you know, some of you understand that. But anyway, uh, <laughs> that's, what they, well, that's what happened when they went to bed. And anyway, they, they got in bed and, and, uh, and tried to go to sleep. Said, maybe I better read a while. Lit a candle and, and uh, read some. Well, I feel pretty tired now. Blew out the candle and tried again. Maybe got an hour or so, and then they woke up, and, and I said, oh, man, I'm telling you, it's going to be another one of them nights. And uh, he went to sleep, and finally, finally he got to sleep, and, and uh, uh, he, he felt a little better when he, when he got to sleep. And, and when, when he woke up in the morning, he uh, jumped out of bed and said, what? Uh, let me go look in the mirror here. See? And he looked in the mirror, and he said, who is that? But uh, no, it, it had to be, really. I mean, he made a new man out of Abraham. He woke up a brand new creature. Like it says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation, a new creature. Old things are passed away. All that arthritis was gone. His hair was black again. His teeth were back in. His, uh, his hearing aids were out. He didn't need any of that stuff anymore. He could see and he could hear and he could taste and he could, well, he could, no telling what he could do. But anyway, <laughs> Abraham said, I don't think I'm going out of work today, hon. And he looked at her and said, well, I mean, they were new creatures in Christ. They were brand new. And, uh, and God uh, gave them a son. And his name was Isaac. We know in, in Genesis chapter 22 that Abraham was, every time, God gives, the Bible says that God gives every man a measure of faith. Every man and woman, he gives every one of us a measure of faith. Right? That's what it says. Thank you, preacher. Another preacher? 
Yep, another preacher, same thing. Teacher, preacher, same thing. God gives every one of us a measure of faith. And he gave Abraham a measure of faith, and he woke up new. He woke up new. He gave them a child in, in, in Genesis chapter 22. Uh, I don't know how old Isaac was, maybe uh, 16, maybe older than that. I'm not sure. I'd say he's probably somewhere around 16. God said, this child that I've given you that has to be your heir, and, uh, and through him you're going to have a multitude of, of uh, descendants. He said, I want you to sacrifice him for me, to me. Abraham did not hesitate. I don't think he told Sarah, but he didn't hesitate. He got up early, fixed up what he needed, took his boy, took whatever he was carrying the stuff on, and lit out for where God told him to go. And when he got there, he said to the guys that were with him, said, you fellas stay here. He said, my son and I are going up here on Mount Moriah and we will come again. And we will come again. Amen. Amen. And so they did. And they started up and they were on their way up there. And Isaac said to his daddy, he said, daddy, he said, uh, here's the fire. Here's the wood. Where's the sacrifice? And Abraham said these words. I've never forgot them. God will provide himself. If it didn't have to, don't go any farther than that. God will provide himself a sacrifice. God will provide himself. A sacrifice. That's what our Savior did on Calvary's cross. That's what our God in heaven did with his only begotten son. He provided himself before the foundation of the world was ever laid. God made the plan to provide himself a sacrifice and the only sacrifice that we could be saved because of. It had to be a sinless man that paid the sacrifice, the price of the sinless blood. It had to be. And so Emmanuel, when he was born, Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, paid that price. And when he paid that price, he made it possible for whosoever will to have it imputed if they would only believe, as did Abraham, as did Abraham. Every head bowed and every eye closed. I didn't plan on keeping you this long. Uh, I think I could have uh, maybe given the whole message if I just sung this song. In camp along the hills of light, ye Christian soldiers rise and fight the battle ere the night shall veil the glowing skies. Got to get it up here where I can see it. Against the foe in veils below, let all our strength be hurled. Faith is the victory we know that overcomes the world. He only deals in faith. Faith is the victory we know that overcomes the world. 
Faith is the victory. Faith is the victory. Oh, glorious victory that overcomes the world. You got your heads bowed and your eyes closed. New Christians, old Christians, listen. The world is our field. We uh, had a missionary letter tonight. Missionaries. Missionaries. hear the call of God and they step out on faith in many instances. They step out on faith and say, God, I'll go where you have me to go and I'll go when you'd have me to go and they go. They sell what they have and they go. Now we've got fine houses to live in, fine cars to drive, fine clothes to wear. But we have a country and a world full of lost people to win also. God has given each of us that measure of faith. Each of us. What will we do with that? Will we give ourselves to God to be used of him? Here, will we go out of our door and cross the street to our neighbors and tell them about Jesus? Will we go up the road? Will we go to town? And when we go, will we hand a track to those we come in contact with? What will we do with the faith that God has given us? Abraham believed God. Abraham believed that there would be a Savior someday and he looked forward to that Savior. He looked straight ahead. He plowed a straight furrow with all his life. The Bible says in Hebrews, he died not having the promise and still looking, but he died in the faith. Abel died in the faith. Noah died in the faith. Abraham died in the faith. Sarah died in the faith. David died in the faith. If you read that chapter, many who died in the faith, Moses died in the faith, looking forward looking forward, having invested their life, invested their life in others. What will we do with the faith that God has given us? You can stand with your heads bowed, please, and your eyes closed. Brother Brandon, would you come?